Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Exodus 17. So Moses' hands, 12, were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. This Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write in a book, this is important for our text, as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, this is important to remember as well, and named it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I want you also to look at another key text in regard to this, and this is Deuteronomy. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 25. We're going to look at verse 17. This is about four decades later. They're about to enter the promised land. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, look at verse 17. Moses records this. He charges Israel with this command. He says, um, 25:17, Deuteronomy, remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and t- attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Notice this. You must not forget. Now what God said is, Because of what Amalek did to my people, they were weary from the journey, they were tired, and this uh, people who were kind of a nomadic people, they dwelt in the Sinai Peninsula, in the southern tip of Israel, in the the Negev, the, the Judean wilderness, and they attacked the children of Israel. They attacked the stragglers from behind. And by no means was Israel, at any, in any, by any stretch of the imagination, an army that was used to fighting anybody. They had just been delivered. They were all these people going through the wilderness. God had fought for them at every turn. And now Amalek attacks them. And God says, for that reason, I'm going to blot out the memory of these people. Now, some of you are with, were with us Sunday. Keep going in Deuteronomy and go to chapter 32. We looked at the wrath of God. Paul told us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And he said, leave room for the wrath of God. We are to trust that the Lord is going to take care of things. And that's why we don't have to repay evil for evil because vengeance is mine. When Paul quotes that from Romans 12, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32. So I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy 32 and look at verse 35. Here's the verse Paul quotes. Vengeance is mine, 32, 35, and retribution, and he says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay in due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. 
For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I am he, that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven, and I say, and say as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Now these are the principles that are found in the Bible, not just the Old Testament. Go back to 1 Samuel, go to your right. But in the New Testament, when we read the next verse, many of us cringe at the terrible judgment with which Saul is asked to execute God's plan. And we go, really? Wow! This is what people talk about, the God of the Old Testament, right? Man, I mean, wiping out women and children and all this stuff. Well, I have news for you. This is not just the God of the Old Testament. Because if you read the New Testament, you find that Paul, first of all, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Then you have Paul talk about Jesus coming in flaming fire to bring retribution on his adversaries and to deal out vengeance. You have Peter talking about the day of the Lord and that God is going to destroy the world with fire. And John just sums it up in a little book called Revelation. And in Revelation 20, he talks about a lake of fire and anybody's name who's not written in the book of life being cast into the lake of fire. I just quoted you all New Testament books. Oh, the God of the Old Testament. I don't know. Two people named Ananias and Sapphira who happened to lie about uh, the money they got from the land and God killed them both. That's the book of Acts. That's the New Testament. Wow, is that the God of the Bible? Yeah, the God of the Bible in Romans 12 inspires Paul to write, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, and that's Romans in the New Testament. God is a God who is holy. And when he says these things, we have to remember what happened in the wilderness wanderings. And Amalek continued to be a thorn in the side of Israel, they attacked them as they were heading towards the promised land. When they were in the promised land, many times in the book of Judges, the Amalekites are the enemy. Saul dealt with them. David dealt with them. And indeed, there's even a man in the book of Esther, hundreds of years later, who is called an Agagite. His name is Haman. He's from the 60s. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Maybe the 70s. And what does he desire to do? 
He wants the king to write an edict to destroy the people of Israel. And he's an Agagite. And it's Saul who spares King Agag before uh, finally the prophet does what the king would not do. Verse 3, 1 Samuel 15, Now go and strike Amalek. Utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare, spare him. Put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Totally destroy these people. I'm not going to try to explain to you uh, everything I would attempt to understand about God's edict here. I will just say this, that God is a righteous judge. The book of Revelation repeats this over and over again. Righteous and true are thy judgments, O Lord. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? He will. I don't completely understand why God calls for this devastation, but Amalek is literally, the Hebrew word is under the ban. God says, I want them completely destroyed. Some writers say, it's because of a threat of syncretism. That would be that Israel would uh, buy into their religious system and worship their gods. Um, some say that maybe it's connected to the line that will come through Amalek and that there will be a descendant that will try to destroy Israel. And You can wrestle with those kinds of things. But God's uh, judgment is clear. He says, I want them destroyed. So this is the commission. This is the mission that Saul is given. So Saul summoned the people, verse 4. He numbered them in Teliam, location unknown. We're not sure exactly where that is. He had 200,000 foot soldiers, a lot more soldiers than he had before, 10,000 men of Judah. At the end of chapter 14, it tells us that Saul, whenever he saw a mighty or a valiant man, he would bring him to himself or bring him into the army. So his numbers have grown. This could be years later. And so Saul came to the city of Amalek. Uh, we don't know exactly where this was either, but he set an ambush in the valley or the ravine. And Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, go down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness, that's the word hesed, to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites are very different from the Amalekites. The Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. They get a warning it's interesting, if you read Exodus 18, right after the account I just read to you, it turns out that Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, is a Kenite. And he treats Moses favorably after the whole incident with the Amalekites. And he even gives them good advice in Exodus 18 about splitting up the workload. And so God uh, obviously blesses and, but the Kenites, but of course the Amalekites are going to get God's judgment. And so Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt, and he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Some people say that Agag could be a title like Pharaoh, but I would lean to the fact that it's a name given what I've shared with you from the book of Esther. But Saul and the people, remember God said, I want you to destroy everything, spared Agag and the best of the sheep, 
the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. I don't know how far to take this. I don't know if that means that they just spared choice animals, which seems to be the reading, or if it was beyond that. But they spared all that was good, and they were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. But whatever they felt was good, they didn't destroy it, they kept it. Now, there's a couple application points. One is, we can't just listen to the word of God, we need to obey what God tells us. Two is, the key to the Christian life is the willingness to be willing. You might want to write that down. The key to the Christian life is the willingness to be willing. To do what? To do what God tells you to do. They were not willing to do what God had made clear. They looked for what was good. Everything was under the ban. This is the Hebrew concept. Everything was devoted to destruction. It was all unto God. There was no sacrifice here. This was all under the ban. God says, destroy it completely, permanently, done deal. But they didn't do it. And the language says, Saul, who seems to be the leader by the Hebrew structure of the sentence, and the people. It seemed like Saul was the one who thought of this, and the people followed his lead. Although later on, he's going to say he did what he did because he feared the people. But it seems that Saul's the one driving this, and so they don't destroy everything. Uh, We're going to have temptations in our life. The temptations are going to be the voices of people that tell you, well, just don't go too far with your Christian obedience. And it's sometimes going to be things that you see that you want. You know it's a, you know it's a, um, it's something that you're compromising on, but you still do it because it looks good. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret, NIV, I am grieved that I have made Saul king. I want you to notice what God says. For he has turned back from following me, and he has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel gets word from the Lord directly that Saul has turned back from following me. And he qualifies it by saying, He has not carried out my commands. Literally, you could put it this way. He has not fulfilled my words. He has not done what I called him to do. Therefore, I regret that I have made him king. Now, can the Lord regret a decision that he makes? Well, this is uh, what scholars like to call anthropomorphic terminology. What in the world does that mean? I have no idea. I just thought I'd throw out a 75-cent term. (laughs) Now, they say that sometimes the Bible uses human terminology to give us a glimpse of how God is, even though that may not completely capture the story. But on a human level, it shows us that God is so connected to his creation that he he feels things and he, he can be affected by our behavior. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, we know God is omniscient, so he knows anything. He can't be shocked by things, and yet still he feels things. The only other place I know of in the Bible that 
The Lord articulates something like this is in Genesis 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Genesis 6, 5 and 6. However you work out the theological implications of these statements, it tells you something about God. He feels. He's not just detached from the behavior of humans. What happens on the planet, what his people do and don't do, impacts him. And Saul uh, has grieved him. And Samuel may become the picture of God. Maybe Samuel is feeling what God feels because Samuel was distressed. Look at the end of verse 11. And he cried out to the Lord all night. This tells me something about Samuel too. Samuel, even though he was upset about the people wanting a king, he still did not want Saul to fail. He wasn't rejoicing in Saul's failure. He didn't wag his prophetic finger in the face of the people and say, I told you so, even though that, uh, that was a warning that he had given earlier. He's grieved. Whenever anybody in the Christian world fails, we should be grieved. Should never rejoice at anybody's calamity. And Samuel rose early in the morning. It seems to be a night with very little sleep, if, if any. And he went to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. This is a small town in Judah, not the mountain, not Mount Carmel to the north. And behold, he set up a monument for himself. And then he turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. So Samuel rises. He's headed to meet Saul. And Saul has uh, picked out a spot for a monument. Uh, One day they're going to erect a statue to me in this town, (laughs) the Wizard of Oz. Well, don't start posing for it now. I don't know. It's one of my favorite lines in the movie. (laughs) What is Saul doing making a monument to himself? Now, the contrast is interesting because after the victory that Moses experienced with Joshua fighting the Amalekites, as Moses had raised his arms with the staff of God to heaven and kind of in the uh, picture of prayer and worship, the victory comes and what Moses makes is some sort of monument or an altar and the altar says, the Lord is my banner. Who's the credit go to? God. But when Saul disobeys God, partially obeys God, gets a victory militarily, who does he make a monument to? Here's another way to learn from people's failures. One, we've got to listen to what God says. Uh, We've got to, I give you a second one, I can't remember right now. But the third one is, we've got to watch out for pride. Got to just watch out for pride. Here's Saul, you know, he's building a monument, and I think deep down Saul already knows he's disobeyed God. How could he celebrate partial obedience? How could he be making a monument here when he already knows that he's disobeyed God? Well, Samuel came to Saul, and sometimes we're pretty good about justifying partial obedience and even celebrating it, right? 
We've got to be careful. Samuel came to Saul, and, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. <laughs> now, see if you can read a little bit between the lines and see if you're sensing Saul knows something's up. I have carried out the command of the Lord. This is when you walk into your kid's bedroom and... <laughs> Hello, bless you, Dad. Bless you, Father. For I have sinned. <laughs> What's going on around here? You don't normally talk that way. I have cleaned all of the room up that you told me to clean. You open the closet. <laughs> something's, something's going on here. Samuel says, or Saul says to Samuel, God bless you, brother. <laughs> so great to see you. You think he's happy to see Samuel? I don't think so. Oh, no, by the way, I have fulfilled the word which the Lord spoke to me. And Samuel said, why then do I hear your brother in the closet like he's tied up? <laughs> Strike that from the record. That's actually not what the Bible says but it's close. <laughs> what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? There seems to be a low murmur of farm animals. <laughs> Let's see. Listen to the word of the Lord. I want you to utterly destroy everything that belongs to Amalek. What's the word everything really mean? Everything. Yet, I hear some bleeding and some lowing. What's the lowing of oxen sound like? Is it like a cow? Mm, I don't know. Why do I hear that? What's really going on? And Saul said, in a classic response of blame shifting, they, those soldiers, NIV, have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. <laughs> Did you love this? There's, there's nothing new under the sun, brothers and sisters. This is the king of Israel, right? They, the people, spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, so we, a couple points of clarification, Mr. Prophet. One, it's their fault. This goes, takes us back all the way to Genesis 3, right? The woman you gave me. And there's religious purposes behind what we've done. This, I cheated on my taxes so I could give more to the Lord's work. I really want to win the lottery so I could give more to the kingdom of God. Maybe. After I buy <laughs> the sheep and the oxen, coats, whatever. You see, this has been done for religious purposes. This is 
what we call the spin cycle. This is the blame shift, baby. We're all pretty famous for it, right? We partially obey the Lord. We get confronted and then we go, oh, well, no, no, it wasn't me. It was them and they and oh, and whatever we did do that we think is right. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do something religious with it. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you so much again for listening to Living Truth Radio. We're blessed to have a wonderful listening audience, and we appreciate you partnering with us in prayer and in giving if you can. But we just want to say thank you for listening, tuning in. Tell a friend about Living Truth Radio and keep us in prayer. We want to just get the Word of God out to as many people as possible. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to invite you to our website. It's livingtruthcorona.org. Last time we were together, I told you a little bit about articles that are on that website, and I think they'll be very helpful for you. I want to tell you about something else on the website, and it is sermons. We have church sermons, we have radio sermons, and we have a huge archive section at livingtruthcorona.org. And in that archive section, we have complete book teachings, both Old and New Testament, in their entirety, verse by verse. Those sermons are all up there. They're all free. We give the Word of God out for free. If you want to order a CD from our ministry, contact us through the website. Let us know how we can get that into your hands. We believe in getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible and making it accessible. At livingtruthcorona.org, under sermons, you can find church, radio, and archived sermons. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio, for praying for us. May God richly bless you and your family. Hi, this is Pastor Michael, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio. And, you know, when we're doing radio, folks, um, it's a little hard to tell who's listening. And we'd like to be able to uh, hear from our listening audience. And we're not asking for anything other than just drop us an email and let us know uh, if the program has been a blessing to you. We'd certainly like to hear from you. We're always looking how to best spend our stewardship dollars in terms of the ministry of radio. And so we, we'd like to know uh, how we're doing. And drop the email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. That's office at livingtruthcorona.org. Org. And just let us know who you are and if you've been listening, if the program's been a blessing to you. That would really help us out, and that would be a blessing to us just to hear from some of our radio listeners. So again, drop an email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. Thank you so much for listening and praying for us and supporting us if you can. And we uh, are very appreciative of the body of Christ and pray that the Lord will bless you and your family.